Hello and welcome to the next episode of Lost in Criterion. I'm John Patrick Oatari Dorgan, and with me, as always, is a man who does an excellent version of the Fred Astaire chair dance thing. Uh, I am the Adam Glass, and I had to settle on the chair dance because I spent literally years trying to train myself to dance on the ceiling of a room. Yeah, it just doesn't work. It's really ultimately, it just didn't work. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, you know, I got pretty close uh, a couple of times. But I could never really get more than, say, six inches above the baseboard. <laughs> yeah. You, no can fun. you do that that weird, like, run up the wall thing? Can you do that? I'm a big fan of that one. Too. I can run up the wall. I can't do the backflip. Oh, okay. Um, I gotcha. So, so I, get, I run up the wall, and then I just fall flat on my back. And, uh, and then writhe in pain for, for about oh, 20 God. minutes. What have I done? Uh, Wonder, wonder what decisions I have made in life, and uh, that led you to do this. Yeah, it's, it's yeah, yeah. I think I, I think I once at one point, sometime in elementary school or early junior high school, was like, I wonder if I can run up a wall, and then like that ended exactly how that thought <laughs> oh, was meant no. to end. Basically, you know, I mean, like I put yeah. like a foot and then another foot on the wall, and then fell down, and right. did not try that anymore because. That's for people who aren't me. Before we get into the movie, I want to talk about our Patreon, patreon.com slash lostincriterion. Over there, we do a bonus episode every month. It's always a non-criterion film, and supporters get to vote on what movie we're going to watch. Uh, it's usually inspired uh, by, well, no, it's inspired by whatever my whim is. Sometimes it's based on a movie we watched recently on the main podcast. Sometimes it's based on a uh, just something I've been thinking about. Uh, for instance, recently vote lists have been uh, a list of uh, Eclipse series uh, Louis Mal documentaries, uh, from which we ended up watching God's Country, and it was a phenomenal film. Um, and also, a recent list has been uh, me responding to the announcement that uh, Robert Pattinson might be Batman by putting together a list of Robert Pattinson movies, <laughs> and we ended up watching the 2017 oh, Good I mean, Time. You know, that was a very was interesting movie, was, too. But... Yeah. Uh, but like I said, $1 supporters and above get to vote on that list we put together, and you get access to the episode, obviously, and the entire back catalog of episodes. So you can go back and you can listen to God's Country, or you can listen to Ernest Goes to Camp, which we did once based on a list of... Uh, yeah, films that Conservapedia finds to be bad for children. Um, we've also done some really, really terrible movies uh, like uh, Monster Squad or the Will Ferrell Kicking and Screaming, which I do believe is the worst movie I've ever seen. No, uh, it, it is. And, and, and it doesn't need to be on the podcast, but you managed to accidentally delete from history, which I think is I did, a I did, I did. No, it still exists on the uh on the Patreon, I just accidentally deleted it from from our ongoing Lost in Criterion archives that I keep on an external. This is literally the only film that's missing of everything yeah. we've ever done. Is like, yeah, 
that one, which feels like right. feels like a, a, an air quotes accident at that point. Right, right, indeed. Uh, but yeah, for one dollar a month, patreon.com slash lost and criterion. For a little extra five dollars a month, we'd like to thank the uh the people on air who are at that level. So thank you to Kevin Little and Adam Speakerman for your continued five dollar a month supports. Uh, and then for a little above that, ten dollars and above a month, we do something that I really, really love. Uh Pat makes a piece of art based on one of the movies we watched on the main podcast recently. Uh Usually on the main podcast, there was one time that he did the Christmas, well, two times that you've done the Christmas episode. I think I've done, yeah, I've done it both twice. Phenomenal. Yeah, yeah. Um, I don't but, remember uh, what the second one was, but I've definitely done it twice. Uh, the second, the first one was uh, in Bruges, and the right. second one was you let your your children draw Fievel from the <laughs> right. Fievel. Yeah, that's right. Uh, that's, that was so good. <laughs> yeah, and both were both were great. He did a great uh, job. But Pat makes that piece of art, and I have it printed on a postcard. And then send it off uh, with a little thank you note uh, or, or some sort of musing from myself. A little personal note, though. Uh, and we also like to thank the little, people A little at love that from level. Adam. Just a little love. A little Adam. love. A little love from both of us. A little art yeah, from no, you. That's true. Oh. Although, you know, it, yes, it, that is true. You are absolutely correct. It is from both of us. It is, it is a little love from both yeah. of us. Just expressed very in, in slightly different ways. Yes, oh. indeed. Um, but our supporters at that level right now, I want to thank uh, Michael McGrath and Jason Westhaver for, for yes, continuing for that support. Hope you've been enjoying the postcards. I think you have been. Um, but yeah, I mean, presumably, this w- otherwise you would have presumably. made us stop sending them to you. <laughs> right. Indeed. Indeed. So you want to get on, on that, patreon.com slash lost in criteria. This week we are talking about our second Jane Campion film, uh, Sweetie. It is from 1989. It's actually the movie she made right before... Uh, the first of her films that we watched, and the only other one in the uh, Criterion Collection, uh, which I suddenly just wa- lost the title to. What did? I... Um, Angel at my table. The only, yeah, the only other one in the Criterion Collection. Angel, at, uh, Angel, and Angel at my table. There we go. I can talk today. I swear. I can't. Yeah, no, <laughs> like I'm not going to be able to do it that specifically. Yeah, and Angel at my table uh, is getting a. Blu-ray upgrade, uh, I believe in August, um, but uh, but there are no other Jane Campion films in the collection, uh, which is a little disappointing because I really loved An Angel at My Table, and this is, if nothing else, very very interesting uh, as a a stepping stone toward Angel at My Table. I, from what I understand, um, her films become a little less like sweetie outright in just the weirdness that is sweetie uh but still there are definitely seeds of angel at my table here and and you know she continues down that path um but yeah this is uh it's a very interesting movie in a lot of ways uh and there's a lot of bonus material on the criterion dvd which uh, i screwed up that uh that Pat didn't get a chance to watch, but but I did, thankfully, watch it all. Among them is uh, there's an interview with uh, with the two female stars of the film, uh, Guinevere Lemon, and uh, who plays Sweetie, and uh, Karen Colson, who plays Kay, um, where it's just it's the two of them like 
I'd say early 2000s, um, talking, talking about the movie and talking about how they, uh, they became such good friends making the movie together, uh, which is really just, uh, it's a fun conversation and it's, it's fun to see the two of them. Um, and I'll, I'll draw a little bit on that if the conversation allows, but, uh, but that's really great. There's also some, uh, some shorts that Campion made during art school, uh, in the few years prior to this film, uh, Peel, uh, which is about a, uh, a man, his sister and his son, uh, his young son are on a road trip and, uh, and the kid throws an orange peel out the window and his dad gets mad at him and they just kind of get stuck along the road having an emotional breakdown over that. Uh, um, and, uh, what else? Uh, there's passionless moments. I believe is the title of it. Uh, make sure of that yeah passionless moments uh which are there's a disembodied narrator who and it's all in black and white and it it almost sounds like a uh like uh an educational film narration Mm -hmm. uh and he's just they are short vignettes of people not knowing how to react to their situation or or reacting strangely to their situation um like one is uh, one is a little boy who's sent to the market to buy uh, green beans or something, and he pretends that they're a bomb, so he has to run home very quickly uh, and get them into the fridge before they explode. Um, one is two neighbors, and uh, one of them is having a shoulder issue, so he walks out of his garage rotating his shoulder, and the other is scratching his head, and they both see each other and think that the other is waving at them and then decide that, oh, they think I'm already waving at them, so I better commit to it. And then, <laughs> and, then, and then we follow one dealing with the psychological aftermath of that situation for a couple wow. seconds. They're all very, very interesting. Um, there's one where, uh, where a gay couple is lying in bed and the, the one is sitting in the background and angry. Uh, because the other, according to the narration, has been messing around, uh, and the other is uh, lying facing the camera and looking at his fingers and thinking about uh, why he can't focus on two things at once and starts thinking back to high school biology <laughs> again, according to the narration. <laughs> they're, yeah, they're literally like none of them are more than 10 seconds long. Uh, there's one about a housewife who is putting together a flower arrangement and she hears this banging outside and she uh, at first thinks it's like a Japanese woodblock and then decides that that's impossible. There wouldn't be anyone playing a Japanese woodblock <laughs> there. Uh, yeah. So it must be a woodpecker. And then she, she goes to the window to look out and discovers that it's her neighbor hitting a stick on like a carpet or something that she's drying out on the clothesline. Uh, and she comes back and she sits back down and that's when the narrator reveals that that's when she realized that there are no woodpeckers in Australia. <laughs> <It's>, <laughs> they're all very good. Um, but all very interesting in that and, and silly and contemplative in different ways. 
Um, and then the last one is called A Girl's Own Story, which is, um, it follows actually a couple different uh, teenage girls um, dealing with, with home issues and uh, and sexual encounters and, uh, and school issues. Um, uh, takes place uh, in the late 60s. It opens It opens with a bunch of the girls pretending to be the Beatles and the rest of the girls screaming uh, as if they, they really are the Beatles and reacting like all those old <laughs> news, news footage right. that you see. Um, and uh, it's very interesting. And it, ends, it ends in like a music video sequence um, with, with what I believe to be an original song. Uh, but they're all... They're all a little off kilter and weird, but they're well, they all, all sound also very... very. Yeah, they all have elements that you see coming together in something like Sweetie, right. and and you know we have a very limited exposure to Campion's other work, but but even an Angel at My Table deals with yeah, similar things, I, right? I I just think that what it sounds to me like is that, um, and then I mean I may be way off base on this, but it sounds to me like. These are a very much, including this movie, very much a, a product of their time to a certain extent. Yeah. Like this feels as much late eighties, early nineties as a movie could possibly be, in many ways. Right? <laughs> like it reminds me very strongly of like Slacker or something like that. A little it, bit, yeah. Not in anything, I and not in really anything that happens, but like it just feels like the early nineties. Like you, if you, you, sh- you know what I mean? Yeah. Like it has a texture to it that feels that way. It's dealing with similar. A lot sometimes dealing with similar ideas of like a lot of things. There was a lot of film and 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 work that grappled with mental illness and things like yeah. that. But but it, it always or felt even like just like malaise and ugly like too, right? Right, exactly. But but that in in some ways, are, especially in nineties film, are kind of almost the same thing, right? Um, yeah. In that in that era of media and like kind of, it was a time when that was a topic that people wanted to talk about. It's similar to like um to like uh like. You know, for example, gay and lesbian rights and stuff in the '90s too, right? Early '90s, where like people wanted to talk about it, but they didn't hadn't built up a robust enough vocabulary, and I don't just mean in words, but in like expression, yeah, to do yeah. it in a way that didn't feel kind of clunky. And, and you know what yeah, I mean? That doesn't like, feel I mean, dated. Not, yeah, right. I exactly. Think, it's like I think that's fair, and I think I think that we could almost certainly find examples of it done well in the era, but oh, I'm more sure. mainstream. But it was a, a, a lot of it. Like, you know what I mean? Like if, <laughs> as a person who just watched literally the entirety of West wing, um, for, because I hate myself, I think, um, <laughs> the way things in the early nineties dealt with things like mental illness and, uh, you know, like I said, gay and lesbian rights. And like, it, it, it you, just, you realize West wing started in 1999, s- right? <laughs> I know, but it felt so early '90s. Oh my I suppose. god! All right, the West Wing. It, Sorkin's work in general, but the West Wing especially, has is 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 already by the time it came out a product of a previous era. Yeah, it just was like it 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 it, it, it struggled. I, we don't need to turn this into the Sorkin cast, but like it 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 deals with, for example, yeah, we're just sorking it out right now. Like it deals with, for example, the Republicans as though it is 1985 or 1975, yeah. not as though it's 1990. And like they they already were like 
distinctly engaging in bad faith politics. Yeah, you know what I mean. Like, like already at that point, like it's like, well, they're you know, it was it was it's. This is a person who, keep in mind, went on an interview not that long ago and was like, "Well, we just need to be a little bit more like centrist about everything." It's like, look, I dude. You done yeah. you done past the time where your your thoughts on this are relevant. I'm sorry, but you're wrong. Um, no, but I get the, you. but what I'm saying is is it, it, there's a feeling to that era of like it couldn't it wanted to like artists wanted to desperately, but they just they it's it's almost as though society lacked the vocabulary to allow them to do it in a way that didn't feel a little bit well, awkward. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And I think that's because partially because it is breaking edge boundaries, right? Like a movie right. like this that deals this heavily with mental illness is in some ways probably it's not breaking ground because certainly other movies have dealt with mental illness before this. But like it was a topic people aren't super comfortable talking about even to this right. day, right? And so yeah. when you make a movie about it, it has a certain feel of awkwardness sort of built baked in, right? Yeah. Um, and – and I think certainly, certainly, uh, an angel at my table dealt with that better. Um, or even, you know, what we've what we've watched recently, Clean Shaven, is from '93, and that right. that is it does more, yeah, it does deal with it more overt in how it deals with it, and more more direct in how it deals with it. Um, but yeah, here here it's interesting. Because of the way it plays out. Because there's a movie called Sweetie. Mm-hmm. Uh, but we're first introduced to Kay. And Sweetie doesn't show up until act two of the film, right? Um, yeah, that's true. You know. uh, although I think it, it, it is somewhat fitting. Um, yeah. As, I, you know, I mean, we can get into personal stories and stuff like that. But, like, I right. like your Sweetie archetype needs to show up in a way that is, like, why the fuck is this person here all of a sudden? Right. Right. And I think it does a decent job. The movie does a decent job of conveying that sort of like, oh, this is a person that, that's here now. Right. One thing that the uh, the Criterion essay talks about um, is that, uh, and Dana Poland writes that, uh, one thing she talks about is uh, that with this film as opposed to Campion's other work, and this is true even uh, of An Angel at My Table, uh, that this, while all of her films are about the uh, the world of real women, um, Kay here is so much dealing with the, uh, the world acting upon her, right? Um, right. You know, she's living in the shadow of Sweetie, in that everything Sweetie does affects her familial life, and and you know, uh, once Sweetie shows up, her very directly her life, but but also her relationship with her, her parents and and her relationship with her boyfriend, um, and and it ends in a way where where Sweetie's shadow is still overpowering. Right, our final scene isn't. Right. Kay and her boyfriend reconciling a little bit. Our final scene is the dad seeing a vision of Sweetie as a child singing a song about loving her forever. Um, 
Whereas yeah. moving forward, and even with an angel at my table, there is there is more self agency from our female protagonists. Right now, right. now certainly Although, with I, an angel I mean, at my table, yeah. the world is acting on her a lot and in a lot of ways, uh, and that's right. going to be true of, of any movie. You know, that's that's real to, real to life, um, but it is still it is the the woman. Um, the protagonist sort of taking the bull by the horns and, and still right. But I, I think in this movie very fundamentally that this movie is trying to tell the story of a specific a person with a very specific personality type that, that like not, I, I understand where we're coming from here, but like not every protagonist male or female is going to be of a personality type that like takes agency in their own life. You know what I mean? Like, there are, this, this is very clearly, like, we're not in a situation where, like, oh, I didn't know how to write women. We're in a situation of, like, oh, this is the kind of person who assume, is of the opinion that the entire world is essentially committing injustices to her and, like, has never tried, not really ever done anything to try to escape from that, right? Right, right. Um, and well, even when I mean, she does, she kind of... Right, she well, gets I mean, sucked she back does, in. But then she like she has in that she, she has moved out on her own very easily. Yeah, like she's moved out on I her mean, own, and and we presumably have weeks, if not months, of her life where where she's not oh, yeah, interacting no, with sure. her parents at all. And Sweetie is not even a ghost. You know, Sweetie doesn't exist in this film until she exists and is there. Right, and and uh, and like what I what my point was is that like I there are people in this world who in and of themselves have created a, a can create around themselves a sort of mythos of being almost like a force of nature. Uh, yeah. And especially within a family, this is very, I basically what I'm getting to is like, this is very, for me, this story is very hyper true to life about. Yeah. People. I oh, have absolutely been, like absolutely. multiple characters in this and, and, and like, yeah, family and, relationships and that a, you've a, experienced. Right, exactly. Very this very this story was very resonant for me because it was very personal feeling. And like I mean, it's more dramatic in the sense that it has a weird sort of edge of goofiness to it that like real life just doesn't have. Like even when the sort of ending has this kind of strange otherworldly character that like when you're actually experiencing these things doesn't exist. You know what I mean? Like it just doesn't feel that way. It feels like the whole world is spinning out of control. Um, yeah, but it, it, I, I feel I, I read an, an article about this while we were getting ready to do today's episode, and like I get where a lot of people's commentary on this is coming from, but I feel like it's very easy to come at this with a commentary that fails to understand that like people have lived lives that involved people like this, like right of the people in the story, like multiples of the, it's not. Sweetie is the titular character, but Sweetie is not the only person in this film who's suffering. You know what I mean? Right, uh, right, 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 right. Clear, clear issues that need to be that that no one has ever bothered to try to address. Right, not really. and that's that's another thing uh, that reminds me of Clean Shaven is that I think so many so many people would watch this film and call it like dirty or 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 abnormal uh, right. because it is so so true to real life, but about someone who films are not made about. Right. Exactly. And, about, and 
and I think it's really valuable in that in that perspective. Yeah. Like and this this reminds me of a person that I grew up with, and and it, it is meaningful. Like it is really meaningful right. to see that person put to, essentially my memories of that person put to film, and that is really fascinating to see because it's not a person right. that I've encountered in media very often, especially not legitimately and honestly portrayed. And so, right. um, and, and you know, there's, it is still from Kay's perspective. It is. And so it has the edge of Kay's attitude towards Sweeney, which is important to keep in mind. It's not, it, it has the bias baked in to a certain extent, right? right? Like, because it's not Sweeney's perspective on Sweeney. It's Kay's perspective on right. Sweeney. And that, that's significant and, and worth remembering when you're watching. Uh, yeah. Because Another he thing, doesn't like Sweetie for obvious reasons. Right. right. Another thing the Lemon and Colson conversation uh, brings up um, that's that's pertinent here, I think, is the is the rea- the reaction at Khan to to the film, and uh, and they say that you know before they went in to watch the premiere, and neither of them had seen the movie until it premiered at Khan, uh, and they all went, and until. Uh, when they were going in, someone warned them. They said, it is a very normal thing at this festival for people to leave in the middle of a showing. Not necessarily because they don't like the film, but because they have other things to go do that they deem as more important. Uh, so, so uh, Lemon, Lemon, yeah, Lemon talks about having already come to terms with that, but, but, but Colson, who plays Kay, uh, says that she... You know, she started hearing the the seats fold up behind her in the middle of things, and she got she got very anxious about it. Um, but then they talk about when the film actually ended, and uh, and there was an audible boo starting, Whoa. and then just overpowered by people cheering. And uh, and they talk about you know that that being a sign to them of a good piece of art because a good piece of art shouldn't be universally loved or universally panned. It should, it should, uh, right. It's going to resonate with different people. Different. It's going to resonate with different people. And some people are going to actually actively dislike it. Yeah. Right. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah. And there was, you know, there were uh, like Philip French of the Observer called the movie disgusting, disgusting. Um, you know, there are, there are active, active critics who uh, think that it's a terrible movie, or or think that there's there's something wrong. And in I, I would a movie like, like I this. would love to know what I I mean, not enough to actually go read the fucking review. Let's be clear here. Yeah. Like what the like crux of that argument was, because like it, I understand disliking it, but like to get to that point, that's a very strong stance to take on. What is obviously right. in some way like a person's personal like right, like what I've seen of Cambion, which is only the two movies, works very. Feels very the work feels very personal. Yeah. Her work feels very personal, like very from something inside of her. You know what right. I mean? Like it doesn't feel like a story she cooked up. It feels like an expression of something she right. needs to talk about. If that makes sense. I think it's also interesting to point out that Campion was twenty five when this movie was made. Right. 
you know, she's young, um, comparatively, uh, you know, and, and like I said, uh, an angel at my tables the very next year. So, you know, she's still, she's still relatively young there, but she's coming, she's coming into her own very much. Um, right. And, 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 and uh, that way angel at my table lacks some of the awkwardness that we were talking yeah. about. Right. And lemon lemon talks because lemon's been in a lot of chain campaign films. Um, four or five, I believe, um, <clears throat> over the course of, you know, the next two decades. Um, in fact, uh, I, you know, some of her most recent work is, is uh, in 2018, Cambian made a film called, uh, uh, she, it was a anthology film, but she, she directed part of it uh, that, that Lemon was in, uh, called Eight. Um, that was Eight Films. Um, but uh, she talks about how as as fun as this shoot was and as much as the crew coalesced and, and was cohesive, uh, at this point, people were still questioning Jane. You know, she'd say, do this, and they'd say, eh, do we really want to do that? Like, crew-wise. Right. Uh, but, but after this movie, she never experienced that again. <laughs> after this movie, people were on board with Jane's vision from the start. No. Right, and, because and if, you, if you've seen any of her movies, you kind of know what you're, you're signing up for at this point. You're not right. Right. Yeah. Makes um, sense. Yeah. Uh, in that regard, uh, Sally Bongers, her her cinematographer here. Uh, I don't know how uh, how of one mind they were, but Bongers does just a phenomenal job. The the cinematography in this is. Yeah, is amazing and interesting, and it's got to be. You know, a lot of it has to be at the best of of Campion, or or the two of them thinking together, because like there's there's scenes where the camera's mounted in the ceiling and the actors are like acting around the camera hanging between them, right? So right, you know that that takes a lot. That's not just a cinematographer doing an interesting thing. That's that's blocking. Somebody, that's that's somebody interesting. The entire thing yeah. yeah. That is, that is interesting. Uh, yeah. There's a lot of planning when something like that happens. So, um, yeah. And the random, the sort of, you know, random sort of cuts and background moments, like the, like to the two cowboys dancing together, you know, and, and right. just, it's, there's good editing and interesting editing happening here. And that's, uh, that's Veronica Jeanette. And, you know, this is a, a f- woman heavy production. Um, right. And I think that that's certainly, that helps this feel more real because it's a, a story about women, about sisters, uh, coming from women. Uh, yeah. <sighs> I just think a lot yeah, of and, and it definitely it there's does, such it a does show. I mean, it shows in the sense that, like, yeah, you're right. It does feel a lot more a lot more real than you could definitely end up with, right? Um, in this sort of scenario, and then yeah, it, it like I said, it, it just does. It feels so far like again, look, we're not going to get to watch any more of her work in this in this show we do, but yeah, it it just has this edge of personal to it that is really I think valuable. 
um, yeah. in, in, in art. I mean, not every movie needs to be a personal story, but like, right. Oh, it's not, even, it's not necessarily are, biographical. Directly, no, I don't think but, so. But like, it, it has the feeling of somebody who, I don't know. Like, I don't know how to like, I, something can be non-biographical, autobiographical, and still have like that edge of like, right, right. I'm in this, you know what I mean, and like, it, right. and it feels that way. It just it does, especially when you when you line it up with Angel at My Table, that feels the same way, right? It's like this, right? It just feels like some some elements of lived in experience, not just like right. storytelling. The the filmmakers here, both both production wise and and acting, are embodying this story in a very real way. And that is true right, exactly. of both of the Campion films that we've watched. Uh, yeah. Yeah, absolutely true. Uh, yeah. There's another kind of kind of changing topics. There's there's one very interesting point that Lemon makes that uh, that deals sort of with the death of the author in an interesting way. Uh because of because of how she frames it, they're talking about the bathtub scene where mm-hmm. Sweetie is is bathing their father, and and both of them recognize that a lot of people read that as a confirmation of incest, uh, and and sort of write that as the uh, the ultimate uh, crux of the film to say, well, no wonder this relationship is is like this because there was sexual abuse. Um, and Lemon points out that you know, when she was acting it, her motivation, her understanding of the character wasn't that. It was that uh, she just felt that this was Sweetie uh, acting out and being inappropriate and very provocative in the way that she was bathing her father. But not not necessarily, you know, not the, the in Lemon's reading of the character, she wasn't thinking that the the father was right. making her do this, or that the father was even uh, sexually enjoying this in any sort of way. But this was this was Sweetie acting out, right? Um, yeah. But then she ends that sentence by saying. Uh, but that's just my opinion, and I'm just a member of the audience now. Right. Which I thought was a very which is interesting... A, which is a fascinating way to take it, yeah, yeah. like as, a, as an actor. Yeah. But, and, well, the thing about it for me also is that, like, I also didn't... I processed it as, like, Sweetie has built... Like, and, you know, I think this is one of those... The wonderful things about something like this is that you can go at it from a lot of different angles, right? And mm-hmm. I processed it more as, like, Sweetie's, like, lacks sort of the emotional skill and knowledge to like Sweetie's created a cycle of like being sweet for a while and then like that as a way to sort of regain favor and then fall and then have it fall apart and then and I think Sweetie's crossed into the territory of not knowing how to be sweet anymore when some yeah. you know what I mean like the the tools at her disposal no longer function because she is not 10 years old anymore and doesn't really know how what the new tools ought to be for like reestablishing that. And so does things that are wildly inappropriate instead. Uh, and I think that's, 
and doesn't necessarily i don't even know if sweetie processes in my sort of perspective even processes them necessarily as being wildly inappropriate yeah you know what i mean like right. i don't know that sweetie has the moral like has the emotional like sort of scaffold to to even yeah. recognize that i also think that that while we're seeing the scene from Kay's perspective and and Kay is in a manner sneaking into this you know she's looking through the crack in the door i read it as sweetie realizing that she was watching and deciding that's also to, another to act out that's in that totally, moment right? that's totally another reading like there's there's so many readings of that and i think right. and that's kind of one of the strengths of the film right is that like in that time and place too you don't know you know what i mean like right it is it is a good thing in a film when like your audience we, we i mean I, I don't like ideas where like author, like writers or authors or directors purposely obscure meaning just to be like ha ha none of you can get what this is about or like what the answer right. is but like a good story especially about people being people has a pretty intense amount of ambiguity in it because that's what right. that's how people are right yeah. like i mean you see this there's a million different ways to read it and that's true right. about a lot of different things um, another you know another thing some of the criterion uh bonus material talks about and it, i can't remember if it's uh the conversation with uh with k and sweetie or uh if it's uh an extended uh, series of interviews uh, about the shorts um, and her time in uh, in art school or film school uh, with Campion herself. Uh, but one thing that, that gets talked about is uh, how much of this movie is an interest on Campion's part uh, and perhaps the cinematographer as well in what happens once people are alone in a room. And what happens after the action leaves them mm-hmm. alone to deal with it? And you know, I specifically, of course, think about what what you've already referenced in our introduction of the dad uh, doing the Fred, trying the Fred Astaire yeah, chair himself. thing, yeah, the, in, by in himself. The movie does I thought for sure that was going to end up with him in the hospital. Oh, I know, me too. I was like, <laughs> yeah. maybe the movie ends with him being in the hospital. That's yeah, <laughs> an odd choice, um, but okay. But but so obviously you know we get the we get the aftermath of Sweetie being left when they go to retrieve the mother, um, right? And that's 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 part of that to a lesser extent because that's that's more plot plot intensive. Yeah, but that's actually a true about, plot, right? Yeah. Like right. the interesting thing right. about the father thing is is that hearing you say what you just like what you described, yeah. Um, you know, hearing you describe that as a as a, one of the philosophies makes that make a lot of sense. Uh, that, right. You know, at the time, right? Like, I initially processed it as being like, "Oh yeah, we're going to be in the hospital." But like, in hindsight, I'm like, yeah. "No, that wouldn't have made any sense because like that would be not what the purpose of that scene is." Right? Like, that's not right, right. what that scene's there for. Right? It's just to show people yeah. being people. Right? Like, it's just to show. Right. And we get people aren't driven by plot. People are driven yeah. by like being people. Right. Right, and we get the scenes with the with the cowboys, and and plenty of scenes of Kay sort of reacting in the aftermath of of, of Sweetie having left the room, um, and you know of of her her after she uh, you know her and Louis uh, Louis uh, 
existing separately within the house uh, during that first act. And it's, yeah, there's a lot of that that's just the quiet moments of what you do with your emotional self when you're alone. Uh, right. Yeah. And it's, it's, yeah, it's, <laughs> it's fascinating. It really is. Uh, the structure of this film and, and the way it plays out is just fascinating. Um, and I am certainly glad to see that interview with, uh, with our two stars, uh, <laughs> where it's clear that they, enjoyed making the movie which is always right. always a bonus i think yeah um, yeah it's, even, al- it's always nice especially it's with not, something that's that's emotionally stories, difficult yeah. too yeah um where it's you know they there's no one on set making anyone else cry through through right, that direction right. or <laughs> critiquing no, nobody gene you know. kellying around and <laughs> yeah yeah cry. Um, uh but yeah um so yeah, that's very interesting too. And and you know, just part of that that sort of randomness of life and and what you do when you're alone plays out with the plot with the mom. Like why is she at this ranch? Like what is who are these cowboys? Right. What is going on no, at I know. all it's, here? It's, it's kind of beautiful that way actually. I yeah. really the the ranch scenes are honestly like in a lot of ways my favorite scenes in the whole movie. Oh yeah. Um, just because even though they're not they're not d- directly dealing with this sort of this right. movie's a lot about things like you know has a lot of things about you know they like said we talked about like uh, you know emotional issues and all kinds of stuff yeah. but there's just the ranch provides some time where it's just like but these are also just people doing right and there's a very interesting things which are sometimes weird and strange but they're just people things yeah there's also a great emotional moment there in that it is it is perhaps the first time Kay recognizes her mother as a human being separate from the sweetie situation. Right. Um, where, where they realize that, that it's the mom singing and, and Kay says, Oh, I didn't even know she could sing. Right. Right. And that, and that's a fascinating thing, right? Like processing your, yeah, your parents as people. Right. And, and right. Dealing right. With the idea that like they have lives that exists outside of you is a, is always a, is really a fascinating thing to to have to deal with, right? Um, and and it actually in the reverse is also true. And I think like for me, like it, it brings up this movie brings up a point that is a thing I think about sometimes, and a, a thing that uh, my wife and I talk about sometimes, which is like the way that the dad treats Sweetie, right? Yeah, is is a, is a kind of embodied version of a fear that parents have. Um, about creating this world where one child is treated very differently than the other child, the other child or the other children. Right. And like, yeah. And like it, when it's categorized, like portrayed in a movie, right. You like the, the character, it's always so easy to see, right. Like to be like, Oh, well this is obvious, but like he's not aware of it. Like he, he is, but he isn't right. Like he knows, but he doesn't, you know what I mean? Like he, at times he kind of acknowledges it because he'll say things like, well, we have to, like we need, like, but like, right. and like the way he got, and it's just a fascinating to think about thing to think about as a parent. And it's like, what led him to be at that point at some point, you know what I mean? Like to get that far down the road of like, almost sort of, I've got to treat her special because she is special, but like 
also like not processing like the reality of how that affects the situation and how that's led to a lot of the problems that exist uh, right. family and stuff it's it's a thing that parents talk about and it's interesting to see it in a movie where it's not just directly about jealousy or something like that because that's like usually what it is it's usually in movies it's like oh you treat this person better than me and right. that's yeah i don't not it's fair. not about jealousy but i think it is it is also about k not necessarily understanding the situation fully either and and none of them do absolutely absolutely but it, it is from k's think, perspective for sure but being from k's perspective i think that uh that k believes that sweetie's problems are all nature or all nurture rather, and not nature. Like, like right. it is. Yeah. It is how her parents treated Sweetie is why Sweetie is like how she is. Um, whereas, right, and and, and you, you know, know whereas the, if we if we view it from the parents' perspective, like that, their their perspective is probably quite different, right? Like, it's, right. it's that like, that her dad that treats at times, right? Right. Dad treats Sweetie like that because of how Sweetie was. Um, and, and, you know, it, 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 it starts and mom to, does to too, feed right? into like each other mom, mom is, and mom does too, right. though. Mom finally got tired of it. Right. It's, well, mom got tired um, of it, but like you can still recognize that like the mom got tired of it, but the mom is still, is still dealing with it. And, you know what I mean? Like it's, it's, um, it's not the sort of get tired of it where you just decide to just like write it off. It's not my problem anymore. Right. Like the mom got tired of it as we, we have to take a different tact to get to the answer to the, right, this right. situation. And, right. and dad was unwilling to take a different tactic. Right. Right. And, 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 you know, the movie does unfortunately end in a way that is, I, I'm not a, the biggest fan of the end of the movie just because it, it does the, by, by having her die, the mo- the movie, people still have to deal with sweetie, but they don't have to deal with sweetie. You know what I mean? Does that make sense? Like, and Sweetie lives on as right as the memory of the little girl, right? Right, and 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 I think that's fair. I think I like I saw some complaints about that when I read reviews, and I don't think I think those are those complaints are somewhat disingenuous because like, Dad's not going to ever change that. That's just never going to go away. Like, and that's not it's not fair for him to be. That is the dad. Like, we do change essentially perspective characters there. Um, at that at that point, right? Like, I mean, we've basically been using Kay's perspective, but that's not like Kay doesn't process Sweetie that way. I don't think. Right. That's the way the dad right. processes Sweetie, and right. and if we do understand that that is Dad's perspective, like that's that's never going to change. That will be who Sweet. Right. I mean, especially with Sweetie having passed away, like that's that is Sweetie right. forever now, and right. and it was very right. unlikely that even while Sweetie was alive, that that would ever stop being Sweetie. And like, yeah, that, I don't think it's fair for a, a movie critic to be like, but he, that breaks the movie because you know um, they're not acknowledging who Sweetie really was. And so, well, no, like that's the point, right? Like, Dad's that this no one situation could, has also no one could acknowledge who and, Sweetie really was, right? And and Dad is broken. Dad will be broken forever. Like that. Dad, dad right. is, and that's what just that's just what Dad is now. And like that's what Dad's probably been for a really long time. And right. Like a movie where that gets fixed is just not fair. Uh, right. It's not real and not fair. But at the same time, having her die is also, to my mind, kind of not fair in the sense that, like, 
people no longer have to deal with their emotions actively. Right. They have to deal I with don't them. often I don't often like a narrative where one of our main characters dies at the end as a plot resolution, right? Right. Um, I just don't yeah, exactly. And that's kind I don't feel of what this fair. is. K, yeah, exactly. K experiences freedom uh now that now that Sweetie is gone. And that's that's her final scene, right? But the shadow of Sweetie lives on. Uh, and that's good as far as the narrative goes, I think. Um, and, and, and certainly more true to life. Uh, but, but in Kay's, in Kay's last interaction with, uh, Louis, Sweetie's death has freed her from living in Sweetie's shadow, uh, and, right, you know, yeah. so I much mean, so much of her problems are, uh, you know, she's. I don't want to suggest that in in a real world, Kay's problems are inherent to Sweetie, but Kay believes that her problems are for sure, up and in and Sweetie. I think that's a normal that is a normal thing for yeah. Kay to believe. I think that is is very right. reason like Kay's not right, but Kay. Right. Thinks a thing that people in this situation often think, right? Right. And and right. the problem is is that Kay is also has a lot of problems. And like Kay's problems right. are not actually gonna go away. And and we are unfortunately put in a position where like we as the audience have to know that. And I don't think that I don't think if there's gonna be a complaint about some of the resolution, I think it's that Cambion assumes that her audience knows that those problems aren't going away. Right. And, and I don't and think I that's think... Uh, that's and, and, and it's should the audience but I, know that? Yes, but do the audience does that? The audience know that? I don't know. I also think that that's why the film spends a half hour without Sweetie. Yes, yeah, I agree. Right, and but, and I, that, but again, I think that is we see that Kay's got her, her own problems. Her audience a lot of credit. Yeah. Like Kay's, you know what I mean? We Kay's see her superstitious. From, she's superstitious. She suffers from some pretty intense emotion or like psychological problems. Right. Actually, like right. I mean that whole the whole. I mean, I understand that the tree is a function of like the omen thing, but like yeah. the way but she does that is not her. Her irrational fear of trees is also tied up into into her relationship with Sweetie, too, right? Because she's scared of trees right. because of Sweetie's Sweetie's treehouse. Yes, yeah, and, that's true. I yeah. mean, but like that. I mean, yes, but I mean, that's true. But like, I'm talking about. The way she chooses to deal with it is super unhealthy, right? Like, I mean, she doesn't, and that's not necessarily Sweetie's. It's not necessarily Sweetie directly, right? Like, I mean, like, right, 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 right. Hiding, hiding the tree in the closet uh, is not. I, you know what I mean? Like, I, I, we are not explained how that could possibly be the result of Sweetie, right? Like, right. Oh, no, I dealt with this no. problem her, by hiding it. Her destroying that tree was not. Sweetie's fault, but ultimately her her discomfort with trees and her fear of trees, and she actively describes it as a fear of trees when she's trying to explain to Louis why she's, or or we get maybe it was just a voiceover and she wasn't actively explaining it to anyone, but she talks about being afraid of trees and she talks about being afraid of trees because of her sister, you know, and that's really the first if unless I'm way off remembering the the order of events in this movie. No, I think that's uh, she talks, I mean, I don't remember perfectly, yeah. but I think that's right. That's before Sweetie shows up, you know. That's when, yeah, I, 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 I believe that's when they're lying in bed talking, like before she uproots the tree. 
when she's lying in bed right. talking yeah. about it being an omen. She talks about it being an omen in the context of her being afraid of trees. <laughs> right. Uh, and, 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 and like, why. you know, in the end, like, you know, we can have a sort of nature versus nurture sort of discussion and stuff. It won't get us anywhere. But, like, right. um, you know, like, Kate was also raised in a way that led her to believe that, like, like to be hyper superstitious and stuff. And that's that's. Right. That's not that's not sweetie. That's the, I mean, did right. did did her experiences with sweetie maybe feed into that? Yeah, but did her did sweetie's experiences with Kay feed into what the way Kay, sweetie is? Probably, absolutely. You know, like we don't we don't get a lot of sign of that because that's just not the perspective of the film. But like, right, the, and we don't actually all of these relationships go two ways, right? They all do. Yeah, and we're seeing the yeah. aftermath of of twenty years of this relationship, right? right? You know, the current state, not we never we never go back to their childhood and see see any flashbacks of, of how they interacted when they're actually kids. Occasionally someone talks about it and we obviously have that final scene of of Sweetie as a little girl, but but yeah, that, so much of that is just how how dad's going to choose to remember Sweetie. Not necessarily even how yeah. everyone's going to choose to remember Sweetie. No, no, but certainly how dad's not. And going I think to that's to remember Sweetie. And that was my complaint is that like uh, some some of the critics I read seem to be like saying like, well, the film's telling us that that's how we have to remember Sweetie. I'm like, I don't think the film's telling you that. Sorry, uh, I think the film's telling you exactly what Dad sees, and and I think and and the I think most of the film is telling you that that as a quick reminder that that's where a lot of the trouble comes from is the fact that Dad never really started to yeah. deal with who Sweetie actually was. Uh, I mean. Is that a fair analysis? I don't know, but that's I think something that the film is trying to say is that like not so much that dad is the reason why Sweetie is as Sweetie is, but that the reason why things have turned out the way they are might be in part because dad can't can't process who Sweetie actually is. Uh, I think that's reasonably fair uh, because yeah. dad makes some choices and clearly has made some choices over the years that were based on the idea that like. Sweetie is this whatever ten-year-old girl who's just talented and sweet and, and has never bothered to process her as anything else, and uh, you know can make weird decisions based on that. Like not if you're not basing things on reality, uh, but yeah, absolutely, yeah. And I think that's another another plus to this film is just how how emotionally complex it is and it's true to life right, and it's emotional complexity because it is not, you know, everyone here feels rounded out in that we can understand everyone's perspective, even as, you know, we're, we're seeing things from Kay's perspective and it doesn't take, right, yeah. it doesn't take a lot of extra work for the viewer to see all those things. It does take yeah, some amount of empathy. It doesn't, but I think, I think but, it does to take some, yeah. and, and some viewers are just not willing to put that work in there. Right. Uh, and that's right. unfortunate, but, you know, but again, like, short of, like, hitting you over the head with it, this is the closest you're going to get, right? Um, right, right. I will, so, I will yeah. say as a side note that's unrelated to any of the emotions of the movie, uh, my children woke up exactly at the last five minutes of the movie where Sweetie oh, is just no. jumping naked in her treehouse, and I was like, and... And, and my wife arrived home at the same time. Like, they were taking a nap, and, like, everybody, it all converged on me being like, is this a weird movie, Pat? And I'm like, 
I mean, yes, but like, this doesn't feel like this is my fault. <laughs> it all makes sense in <laughs> context, I promise. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's like, I'm like, this is all fine. This is whatever. Like, yeah. Yeah. I've got five minutes left in this movie. Let's just finish this up. Um, yeah, Lemon does talk uh, a little bit about the, uh, the awkwardness she felt. Uh, one, because that was filmed on location in the back of, in somebody's backyard. So like she's, (laughs) she's naked up the tree where, where 12 other houses can see her. Um, and, uh, and also, you know, she's, she's naked up a tree with an, with an eight year old boy. (laughs) And that's just a little, a little weird. Right. (laughs) Um, Right. Exactly. It's like in the context of making a movie, I'm probably okay. But if I were in any other context, I might be going to jail at this point. So, right. Right. So, yeah. Um, yeah, it's just I am very sad that we won't see any other Jane Campion Me films. Me too. I as think this is I'm starting to believe that this is a distinct and meaningful injustice that's happening here right now. Yeah. Um like, I don't I don't understand why we're not going to see any other films from her. I don't yeah. I don't get it. I, yeah. I mean And that's, you know, unless they are unless they are about... all bad from here on out, but like I mean something we've talked about in the past is the collection and the industry uh, favor male directors, uh, and, oh, yeah. and yeah. you know the collection. The collection maybe is reflective of the industry, and it's ultimately the industry's fault. But Criterion could make a more concerted effort to to include more films from women directors. Um, Absolutely. Certainly, the ones we've seen have all been very good. Um, with the exception of the Night Porter, which we probably need to revisit at some point. I don't. Yeah, think we're. We're, I don't think we're necessarily to... fair to the Night Porter. Honestly, yeah. like I, yeah. my memories of it are are vague at best at this point. Um, right, those, those right. are pretty early days, and I don't know that we were necessarily as fair yeah. as we could have been. Um, but the films we've seen have have been phenomenal. Uh, they they've certainly. Uh, picked good ones to include in the collection, but I don't think that means they've found the only good movies. <laughs> like, like the rest of the, right, I mean, the rest of Campion's work yeah, that's the issue, right? has to be, yeah. has to be good. Right. And certainly the, the rest of Agnes Varda's work that we haven't seen as part of the collection is good stuff. Uh, so, you know, there's the female directors that we focused on, uh, have made other movies for the most part, and you know, but but certainly we don't just need to see the rest of Campion's films. We need to see right, other we need female to see directors, other works, yeah, other people, yeah. yeah. And uh, I, and I think you know, we I, I it'd be interesting. I haven't looked at like I don't really pay attention to like I get like alerts and stuff sometimes like what's being brought into the collection now. Yeah, and I'd be interested to see if like if their patterns have changed at all in more recent years. Uh, I would hope they have. You know what I mean, like. Because this is an ongoing progress or uh, process, right? New right. films are added all the time. It would be interesting to see if there's been any shift in, you know, because we're we're talking about a process that's been going on for what thirty years now at right. this point. Uh, if there's been any shift in, like, oh, we we try to be a little bit more, pay a little bit more attention outside of what we think of as our, you know, our standards, right? Um, yeah. Because like it, it, it's you know if it if it hasn't that's really that's unfortunate too right 
it's even kind of more unfortunate that if you look at like last year's releases and it's like oh well there's still only two films directed by women and out of 30 well that's not that's not good right 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 also also true um but yeah and and again you know that's you know for the first hundred years of film 95 percent of films were made by male directors uh right but yeah um yeah this movie is phenomenal and everything we've seen from campion is so great and i i just wish that we would see more from campion yeah i just wish we could see period, more yeah me too if if nothing else uh but yeah so this week we are then talking about jane campion's uh sweetie from 1989 uh next week we'll be uh popping back over to england for uh carol reed's film that he made the same year as but right before the third man also based on a graham green story uh the fallen idol uh based on green's the basement room uh the first time that Carol Reed adapted a Graham Greene work and apparently he liked it so much. He said, Hey, you got anything else? I made the third man next, <laughs> um, like directly next. Uh, but yeah. Um, so we look forward to that and we will, uh, see you all next week. Thank you once again for listening to lost in criterion. I am as always the young glass with me as always, John Patrick, Oatari Dorgan. And we'll see you next time. Bye. Bye. Listening to Lost in Criterion, hosted by John Patrick Oatari Dorgan and the Adam Glass, who edits it. We're a production of WithTwoBrains.com. Jonathan Hape does the music. Check him out at JonathanHape.bandcamp.com. And hey, if you like us, why don't you give us a review on iTunes, like us on Facebook, or support us on Patreon. That's patreon.com slash lost in criterion. We'd appreciate it.